0: say the game is getting old. Monday morning and your coffee's cold. Life is not what you want it to be. Hello you everyone and welcome to A New Direction. My name is Jay Izzo and ever oh ever my goodness gracious Mabel. I am just telling you, you today's show, oh, <laughs> to <share. laughs> all right. First of all, get, get, get your notebooks, get your notebook, get your notebooks. Dr. Bamford is in the house. Okay. He's a professor, but the book, the strategy mindset 2.0. Wow. Okay. He says, okay, this is a secondary title. It says a practical guide to the design and the implementation of strategy. It doesn't do it justice. This thing is the playbook for strategy and tactics and, and, and competitive advantage and mission statements and visions. It, okay. Look, I don't care who you are you need to read this book. Here's why, if you are a manager, you need to read the Strategy Mindset 2.0. If you're a CEO, you need to read the Strategy Mindset 2.0. I don't care what the C is in front of the next two letters, you need to read the Strategy Mindset 2.0. By the way, if you were a nonprofit or profit organization, you need to read The Strategy Mindset 2.0 by Dr. Chuck Bamford. I think that pretty much includes everybody. By the way, if you are sitting on a board of directors, you need to be reading The Strategy Mindset 2.0. It is just that powerful of a book. He is it, It's explosive. It's fantastic. It is absolutely phenomenal. you He's gonna be great. He is just absolutely gonna be great. I, I found this book to be so full and packed of information uh, I've got 35 pages plus of notes. It's just, it's amazing. And we're gonna try to get through as much as we can, but let's do what we do every week. And you know what that is, right? We walk you through the four areas of your life because I believe that we are four-part people. We are physical people, mental people, emotional people, and spiritual people, right? And so let's let's just evaluate ourselves in those four dimensions, right? Scale of one to 10, one is miserable, 10 is outstanding, right? Physically, Everybody out there who is watching, by the way, on Facebook Live or listening on CastBox FM, thank you very much. Where are you at physically, right? So one is miserable, 10 is outstanding. Physically, how are you doing? And I want you to evaluate yourself on, like, not just how you feel physically, but how's your diet? How's your sleep? How's your exercise regimen, right? If you could evaluate yourself on those type of things, how are you doing physically five is average so I'll let you have a second okay good got a number right okay cuz you know what? if you're not doing well physically guess what then it's really hard to do the rest I'm just gonna be really honest with you okay so that's why we start the physical area all right so you got your physical number second number is the mental number scale of 1 to ten. One is miserable 10 is outstanding how are you doing mentally? And what I mean by that is we have two halves of the brain. We have a right side of the brain, which is our creative side, and then we have the left side of our brain, which is more of the logical side. How are you, What are you doing and how are you doing feeding both halves of your brain? That is gaining knowledge, gaining wisdom, gaining understanding. How are you doing feeding those halves of your brain so that you're really growing, right? By the way, uh, did I happen to mention that the Strategy Mindset 2.0 would be a great uh, way to grow Beth Habs of your brain. I'm just throwing that in there. But books are a great way to do that. But there are so many ways for you to be able to grow your brain. You could take up an instrument. You can you can learn a foreign language. You can listen to this show. <laughs> but you you really need to be more active than just listening. You need to be part of really engaged in something. Writing is another way of being able to improve yourself mentally. So how are you doing? Scale of 1 to 10. And And then think about, you know, what do you need to do to improve that? by the way, right? In both of those areas, right? What, what can you do right now to improve that? So you got two numbers, physical number, mental number. And then we move on to the third number, which is the emotional number. And what I mean by that is really based on two dimensions. You, you'll hear the, psycho- the psychological professionals like myself talk about emotional quotients or emotional intelligence. I want to make it really, really simple. It really comes down to two things for me. One is how well are you able to control your emotions under stress? That's the first one first dimension. And then the second dimension is how well are you really able to tune in to the emotions of others so that they recognize your own empathy, right? And and I the reason I say that in that way is because we have a tendency to believe that we are emotionally in tune with other people. But the fact of the matter is... We often are not because we are really not empathetic. We're really not putting ourselves in in their shoes because we're so eager to ask a question or make a response that we have not taken really the time to listen fiercely. And that's part of all of that emotional piece. And then, of course, that first dimension of, you know, being able to control your emotions under stressful situation, that's all intention, right? So how are you doing on that scale? One to 10, all right? And then finally, the, the fourth dimension and that is, that's the spiritual dimension. And, you know, the spiritual dimension is really, I define it this way. If you remove the physical, the mental, and the emotion, right, what do you have left, right? It's that unexplainable area that you can't explain, that really doesn't have a scientific explanation, but that you know exists beyond yourself. You know that there's something inside you that that you can't explain. That gives you a sense of peace or a sense of joy or or gives you something. It's not emotional. It's just something else that hits you. Sometimes we call it the soul, right? The music touches our soul. You'll hear people say that. And there's a variety of ways that people come to their own center or their own peace. And that sometimes can be, you know, God, or it can be, you know, nature, or it can be meditation, or it it could be a variety of things, right? The question is, whatever that is for you that brings you back to center or brings you back to a sense of peace or gives you a sense of joy that's outside of those areas, the question is, how well is it working for you? And then what do you need to do to change that as well? Right? so there's your fourth number scale of one to ten one's miserable ten's outstanding how is that area of your life working right and you have to think of these four areas as the the legs of a chair right we have four legs on a chair in these four areas if if the chair is uneven it makes our posture awkward and it makes it very difficult difficult to sit in the chair by the same token if all the areas are low it also is difficult on us and so we want to bring those chair legs up and we want to be able to be as healthy in a healthy position in our posture so that we can be the best, not just for ourselves, so that we can be the best for others. And speaking of someone who is the, been, just has a track record of being the best for others, his name is Dr. Charles E. Bamford. He is the managing partner of Raleigh, North Carolina-based Bamford Associates, LLC. It's a firm focused on the development of implementation implement, implementable strategic plans, and an entrepreneurial orientation to growth. Dr. Bamford led both uh, M&A and corporate training groups for 12 years prior to pursuing his PhD. He's author of the Strategy Mindset 2.0, which we're going to talk about here today, as well as two of the market-leading strategy uh, and entrepreneurship textbooks. Um, uh, And I'll explain why he's got textbooks that he's used in undergraduate and graduate programs around the world. He is a regular speaker at conferences and corporate events and conventions. And by the way, as a fellow speaker, I always say, right? If you're looking for someone, listen to this show. He's going to have content that you're going to want to hire for him to speak. He's also the author of a fictional novel known uh, entitled Some Things Are Never Forgiven. Chuck has published 18 research articles in the, in the top referring academic publications in the fields of strategy and entrepreneurship. He has served on the board of directors of Exinda Networks, a venture prize, and consumer credit counseling service. He serves as an adjunct professor of strategy at Duke's Fuqua School of Business, you may have heard that at Duke University, and the University of Notre Dame Mendoza School, where he teaches strategy design and strategy implementation in the EMBA and MBA programs. He has been a professor at the University of Richmond, University of Richmond, Texas Christian University, Tulane University, among others, and over the past 25 years, he's been honored with 22 Professor of the Year awards, including 12 Executive MBA Professors of the Year. He was also named a Noble Foundation Fellow in Teaching Excellence and a Poets and Quants EMBA favorite professor. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show and welcome Dr. Charles Bamford. Welcome to A New Direction, Chuck.
1: Thank you, Jay. I'm really glad to be here. I usually try to tamp down expectations. I'm not sure how I'm going to live up to what
0: you just did. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay, so I, I, okay, look, I, I read every book from cover to cover and And it's one of the things, it's just one of those things that I do because as an author myself, I was so frustrated uh, going on shows that would never read my book. And it was what I was passionate about. And so I wanted to start create a show for authors that I understood what their passion is and I wanted to be passionate about what they're passionate about. And so I get absorbed into what you wrote. And so when I do this, it really comes from a place of, I am very passionate about what you wrote because I get it and I want it to be great and so I, I I'm, I'm excited about your book I really really am because it's helped me I I've run this show through your analysis of of this book so I actually tested the show to see if it would work for as much as I could and it works this whole idea the, the, the whole strategy thing works and and so Right from the beginning in the introduction, I'm going to take this quote, because this is the quote that's going to set the stage. So everybody, listen right now. Please, and this is a quote from from Chuck, please, if you get nothing else from this book, or if you read this opening and decide not to read any further, do one thing for your organization. Never use SWOT Swapped, Strengths, Weaknesses, Opportunities, and Threats, as a strategy approach again. That is alone would help the bottom line. There it is. There is the opening jock to the book that said, "Okay, we're going to have a lot of fun." So talk about talk about why you would start your book kind of in that way.
1: Well, I think that you said, and you, you, you probably hit on it right away, there's so many of these sort of pop approaches to strategy out there. And one of the easiest ones that have been around forever was SWOT. And and interestingly enough, SWOT was never designed to be a strategy approach. It was meant to be a methodology to display what our what our strengths were and what our weaknesses were, et cetera. But it got converted somewhere along the way. And people think, well, what we'll do is we'll get into a strategy session and everybody, what do you think our strengths are? And people put little post-it notes up on the board and they move all the little post-it notes around. And at the end of it, they go, wow, that looks really great. And then they walk away because they have absolutely nothing. (laughs) What they've got on the board is a bunch of, well, we think, kind of stuff on the board and it's not a strategy and it certainly doesn't help us differentiate from our competitors.
0: That's, I, I love that because when, as soon as you said it, I was like, of course, it's it's what we, it was never meant that way. Now you go on to say, and I'm, I'm still in the introduction here, but you go on to say something else that I think people need to understand and, and, and I want you to kind of elaborate on this. You said in the introduction, business strategy, strategy is at best 50% science and 50% art. It is probably more like 35% science and 65% art, but there is a science. Talk about that.
1: Yeah, there really is. and I think that strategy is one of those things, if you talk to most people who are have risen up in an organization, they came up from the finance side or the accounting side or the marketing side or the whatever side, but they're just all of a sudden assumes that they're supposed to know how to do the strategy for the organization mm-hmm. without any real background or training. So they go with what their gut tells them to do. Well, the reality is That after 50 plus years of looking at business strategy in the field with thousands of researchers examining all this stuff, we know a lot. Now, at the end of the day, you're right, we probably, it's more like 35% science and 65% art. But there really is a process. So I always come back and say, people say, What is strategy? And I say, Well, strategy is a process. But at its most fundamental level, strategy is pretty easy to understand. Every organization is based on or made up of two things. One are those table stakes things that we simply expect when we deal with a company who is a bank or a dry cleaner or a restaurant. There's things that we simply expect. And all of those have to be kind of at a median level of expectation. Don't have to be remarkable, but we can't be terrible at it. And then the other half of strategy is coming up with two, three things that would truly separate yourself in the eyes of customers such that customers would go past the competitors and come to you because you have those things. Those two halves constitute our strategy. And there's a process, and we'll probably get into this, Jay. There's a process for figuring out what those things are. There's processes for coming up with what we do with them and how we do metrics. But at the end of the day, it's still a lot of
0: art. Even if you go through all the processes, you can be wrong. Mm, Love it. I, I love that. I really do. Uh, his name is Dr. Chuck Bamford. The the book is entitled The Strategy Mindset 2.0. Uh, we're talking with him. By the way, it's available on Amazon, and it's it's an outstanding book. It, mine is mostly highlighted in yellow and other colors. Uh, he, there's very little white space left on my book. And um, but he it's an outstanding book. By the way, it's it's really a game changer. It's it's what I would what I would say to you about this book is this is it literally is the playbook. Uh, if you want to learn strategy, if you want to learn competitive advantage, if you really want to really want to put your business in the right direction, and, and by the way, I would even say to you, venture capitalists, if you're out, those of you who listen to the show, I really would recommend reading this book because I'm going to tell you as a venture capitalist, if your the business you're thinking about investing in is not got this going on, I would really be hesitant. About investing in the company. That's uh, how strongly I believe in this book. So uh, VCs, um, I really do recommend this. Chapter one. Let's just dive right in there. You talk about myths, and I thought it was a brilliant idea. I, I'm a firm believer that you know what? Let's knock the myths out of the way before we before we get into the nuts and bolts of everything. Because I th- I think we got to we got to stop those voices in our head. <laughs> and and I think when you jump in and you start jumping in on some of these myths so i want to i want to just bring up a few myths and then i'm going to have you talk about that are you you comfortable with that
1: oh i think this is this is the fun stuff it's kind of like an exorcism
0: (laughs) i've I've never had anybody say that on this show it's an exorcism okay so we're about to do a little exorcism let's just do the first myth chuck i'm going to just tell you from my from my point of view my people are my competitive advantage why is that a myth chuck oh my gosh it's
1: it's 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 totally believed by so many people so I get into these rooms and I'm like so what are your competitive advantages? they go Chuck it's our people and I'm like of course it's your people because God knows none of your competitors have people and they're <laughs> like well wait, wait a minute our people are better of course they're better because we only hire really good people we've never had to fire anybody well no no we have had to fire people and and you go on and on and on so The reality is, there are two realities to this. One is the moment you believe your people are smarter, better, whatever, than your competitors is the moment you're in trouble. But the second half of that is that we have the same combination of really smart people, brilliant people, average people, poor people, and people who should have been fired last week at almost every single company, right? So let's, so people are how we implement our strategy. People are how we deliver on the promise of our strategy, but people are not the strategy. So all of a sudden, Jay decides to leave my organization and go run his own business, right? right. I'm going to go, well, that's it. Jay's out of here. I'm quitting the business. We're, cutting, we're shutting the damn thing down. <laughs> and the reality is, no, we're going to replace Jay and we're going to move on. Maybe we replace him with a little bit better, maybe a little bit worse, right? But we, we cannot argue to, an, to some customer the reason you should be coming to us is because our people are just better looking than everybody <laughs> else, right? It's just such a stupid myth. So I want to ask people this. Even if you don't agree with me, even at the end of the day, you're going to go, no, you know, Chuck, I rethought it. I, it is my people. Then at, hold on to it for just a minute. So that we have a chance to actually do something that will resemble real strategy. Sorry for going on about this. Oh, no, my, I, I one lo- of my I,
0: favorite myths. I loved it. I was just having this conversation with somebody after I read your book and I stole all your stuff. And I said, oh, it's, it's, I was like, he, he, I was like, you know, it's like going and asking your competitor. Well, you know what? <laughs> Got to be honest. Our people suck because Jay's people are so much better. Because oh, of he course. took on the good yeah. We
1: really wish we had good people, but Jay's got them all.
0: <laughs> I loved that. That was so good. So brilliant on your part. All right. So let's let's jump down a few myths. So Chuck, uh, we don't look at what our competitors are doing because we only focus on what we do because that's really what's important.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, and, and how easy to all of a sudden go, ah, oh, you know what? I think what we should do is such and such. And then we put it out for sale and gosh, no one's buying it. Why the heck is that? Well, cause four other companies are already doing it. The, the customer, we, you know, I, I tell people strategy. I'm not a marketing person. I'm a strategy guy, but, Everything comes from the perspective of the customer. So the customer sees all the competitors out there. The customer sees all the substitutes that are out there. The customer is constantly evaluating you relative to everybody else. So you better darn well know what's going on out there and how the customer is viewing it. Because otherwise you are going to spin your wheels and waste your time on an awful lot of things that you might all of a sudden produce that had already been done two years earlier.
0: Yeah, the, the, this competitor thing that we want to just focus on ourselves and we don't want to look at our competitors, that's really dangerous.
1: Oh, it is. I call it the Elon Musk problem. Go ahead. Continue. I think, I think, I think poor Elon's smart as they come. Right. But I think poor Elon thinks that he just can operate. They're just going to run over there by themselves and not have to think too much about all the other things and all the other people and all the other stuff that's going on and somehow it will all be okay. And, and it might be for a short period of time, mm. but the reality is that competitors catch up. Mm. Competitors figure things out, and customers are constantly evaluating us. And by the way, I'm just playing it, just making right. a joke about it with right. Elon. No,
0: no, 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 that's that's fine. He listens to the show. It's okay. He he, he loves the show. Um, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He'll, yeah. he'll, he'll love the show. Yeah. I'm sure you'll get a letter from just, him. Yeah,
1: Just like he likes General Motors.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we're somewhere in there with him. i somewhere, somewhere somewhere he enjoys the show. Um. We're with, we're with a great author. It's, see, he's fun, isn't it? I mean, guy writes a strategy book, but he's also fun. You know what? That's why, that's why he is. Who he is. His name is Dr. Chuck pampert It's called the St- Strategy Mindset 2.0. Available bookstores everywhere, plus on Amazon. Pick up your copy right away because you're going to want to read this book. It's going to help you. And speaking of somebody who has a great strategy mindset, you know what? That comes right down to our sponsors. And you know, our sponsor that our newest sponsor is Epic Physical Therapy. And whether you're recovering from an injury or surgery or Maybe you're just suffering every day aches and pains, or maybe you're just having some uh, problems performing activities at work or just daily living, and or maybe you're a high-level athlete because even the professional athletes go to Epic Physical Therapy. Or maybe it's just you just want to feel different, you want to move different, you want to get better nutrition. Well, I'm gonna tell you something. The I've been there. The Olympic the the elite team at Epic PT is will provide you, I promise you, with a customized treatment plan tailored to your individual needs. They did that for me when I had an injury in the weight room and uh, over course of time and they're absolutely fantastic. With their experience in rehabbing uh, young athletes to elite professional athletes, they really do understand the need to treat the entire body as a functional whole, not just your symptoms or your injury. So you know what? Why not get epic relief? Why not have Epic recovery, and most of all, why not get epic results? Because you can get that at epicphysicaltherapy.com, and you know what? why don't you just go go on over there? It's epicpt.com. That's e-p-i-c-p-t.com. And also our you know our longtime sponsor, Linda Craft and Team Realtors. You know what? They have been around for 35 years, serving the Research Triangle Park area of Raleigh-Durham and Chapel Hill, but actually they help people all over the world because they are independently owned and operated and are unaffiliated with any other national company. So they're able to find the best realtor anywhere in the world to help you sell your home or buy your next home because they've got 35 years worth of people that they've made incredible relationships with. And that is really the key to their company. It is about the relationships they make. Every relationship is important. And every person is important. And the thousands of clients that they've helped in the 35 years that they've been in business is something that is they cherish and something that is valuable to them. So why not get to know them, connect with them. They would love to connect with you. It's very easy to do. They are known as the legends of customer service, but they're also known as the relationship people when it comes to real estate. So why not why not come in and talk to them? You can learn more by going to LindaCraft.com. That's L-I-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T.com. And we're back here with Dr. Chuck Bamford and the Strategy Mindset 2.0 here on A New Direction, and uh, we're going through some myths uh, that we're having a lot of fun with, and so I'm, I'm playing the devil's advocate so that Chuck can jump all over me, and he, we've just gone through a couple. We just finished up with why I shouldn't look at my competitors or doing. So uh, here's myth number five. This is, this is one of my favorites. So Chuck, I say this all the time. Chuck, got to be honest with you, our strategic advantage is our customer service.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> so customer service is what we most of us refer to, in our field, refer to as a black hole in strategy. So every single company claims that customer service is important. Every, except for maybe Dick's last resort, for those of you <laughs> who have had the pain of actually going to a Dick's last resort. But in general, Every single company claims that customer service is important, that customers are number one. We do everything for the customer. And the reality is they don't. The reality is that in general, customer service is terrible everywhere, even for those companies who think they have great customer service. So let's get beyond the big terminology customer service, right? It's a big concept. Let's get down underneath it. What do you think about your customer service separates you from your competitors? Right. So they come back and they say things like, "Whoa, we solve all all customer complaints, you know, within one hour, or we, you know, respond to all calls, you know, within 15 seconds with a live, whatever it is." Now I've got something. Now I can go evaluate that relative to my competitors, and instead instead of telling my employees, "Look, it's all about customer service." which they will all interpret as different, different approaches. Right. Instead, I say, look, the way we do customer service is this, or the thing that separates us is this, and let's hammer that down. So we've got to get past these overall generic terms right. that don't mean anything. So you say to customers, well, you should come to us because we have the best customer service. And what they hear is Charlie Brown's teacher in the background, all right? Mm-hmm. right rawr, 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 rawr. He was like, wow, yeah, because <laughs> everyone says the same thing. And I'm trying to get past all those kinds of things so that we can dig down deep in a company. Uh, uh,
0: that's fantastic. That is, That that is, van- I knew you were going to have fun with it. Okay, but I know you're going to have fun with this one too because of the way you wrote it. And so I'm going to do it. So, Chuck, we've, uh, we've come up with a new strategy. We have, we have decided that we're going to become the low-cost leader. So, uh, and by the way, we're just going to talk about revenue here. So, we are the low-cost leaders. Go ahead. Yeah,
1: yeah, of course. Because there, are you know, everybody. Oh, let's see. So, the reality is that there's there going to be one low-cost leader. One. There can't be two. There's only one. One low-cost leader. In order to be the low-cost leader, they have to do every single thing throughout every aspect of the business to drive costs down so that they can either charge the same and have a better basis point run or charge lower than what their competitors are doing, right? right. So what I tell people is if that is your so-called strategy, please leave the field of strategy. <laughs> you need to be over there in, in, in Six Sigma world and you need to be kaizaming the world to death and go at it. Because if you can achieve it, if you are truly the low-cost leader, you get an advantage for a very short period of time, until somebody else takes it away from you. And look at the look at the examples we have, right? Um, Walmart comes in and takes away the law, the the grocery business because they're a low cost leader, but Oh no, Aldi comes in behind them and is much lower cost than they are, and can charge like, Oh no, Lidl comes in and they're lower than all. And it just keeps going that
0: particular way. Right. God, that is beautiful. That is so
1: beautiful, man. That is so good. All right. So I always tell me it's not strategy. It's It's, just an approach. Go, go for it. 99% 99% of companies are going to be a differentiation approach, right?
0: Right, yeah, no, and, and I, the, the, the point that I hope everybody heard uh, in my midst of my laughter, because I'm crying here uh, in, in, in the booth, is that there can only be one low-cost leader. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's it. That's, that's it. You can, that, so how can be, how can it be a real strategy unless you continue to cut so that you can continue to be, it just makes no sense. Okay. And, and boy Jay can just, just
1: picture, if you have not actually seen these companies, what life is like at one of these companies.
0: Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, good. Oh no, Tut- no, no. Oh no. I, I've got it. The picture is really clear and it doesn't smell real good either, by the way. Just no, just, it is duct tape everywhere. <laughs> All right, next method we're going to hit is Chuck, our brand is our strategy. We call it brand strategy.
1: Oh, yeah. And go on the internet and type in brand strategy and see how many consulting companies there are out there for this one. Oh, my goodness. Every company has a brand. So every single company has a brand. Since every company has a brand, brand is not a strategy. So I'm actually a huge believer in brands. I love brands, but brand only has value for what the competitive advantages are that raise it or lower it over a period of time. So brand has no value. Uh, Think back to when we were, we were teenagers or we were in, or for me, unfortunately, when I was in my twenties. So there was a brand in the 1980s where it, it was the coolest tech company, Jay, you had to have everything they had. I had a Sony Walkman oh, yeah. and I had a Sony had Trinitron TV. Yep. Sony was the epitome. Yep. And then there was this sort of joke computer company out there. They couldn't sell their computers. So they gave them away to middle schools called Apple. Yeah, yeah. Right. Today we have Apple. It's called Apple instead of Apple computer and Sony. And yet Apple has risen their brand has risen tremendously, and Sony's brand has dropped. It's not because there's anything about the brand. It's because of the competitive advantage. because of the things they did that either raised or lowered the value of the word. So when somebody comes to me, well, we're going to invest in our brand, I just start laughing. I was like, well, darn, if you gave me that money, I could just go buy a yacht down in the Caribbean. (laughs) That'd be much better use of your money.
0: I loved these myths man I really I, you were so good and you and the way you did it, I was like I hope he does it the way I, I'm hearing him doing it and you did so I'm so grateful that you did because it was a lot it was a lot of fun it was a lot of fun for me to read and it was even more fun to hear you do it because it was fantastic.
1: So let's, well, let's, you know, it, it's funny. I'll tell you a quick quick, sure. quick 30 yeah, yeah, seconds. Yeah. So I, we get contacted, you know, every week, four or five different companies will contact us for work. So we'll tell them, well, read the front 25 pages of my book. And if you still want to talk to us, we're good. About 50% of the time, Jay, we never hear from them again. Right. And the other 50 are like, okay, I'm in. And I'm like, perfect.
0: Right, right. And and then, by the way, it's, it's kind of a qualif- qualifying way for you to find your quote-unquote and we'll talk about them. The perfect customer, isn't
1: it? Yes, sir. It yes, is, sir. It's a
0: way for you to qualify to do that. See, see, you did it, see. I'm, I told you. I read this thing. It's really good. Uh, it's, the the book again. It's called the Strategy Mindset 2.0. Uh, it is literally uh, your game changer for 2020, 2021, 2022. Matter of fact, for the decade. Why not? Why not buy this book? Because uh, listen, I don't care who you are. If you're even even if you're thinking about starting a business, let's say you. Are going, man. You know, I think I want to do a business this decade. Well, before you do that, will you read this book? Because you're not going to have the right strategy. You're not going to have the right strategy model. You're not going to have the. You're not going to be thinking about it the right way. You're not going to understand your competitive advantages the way you should understand them. You're probably not even going to write a mission statement or a vision statement in the way it should be written. But this book covers all that and more. And by the way, you. Oh, and we're going to do this one. Uh, but today, but we're going to talk about value because th- what he has to say about value is going to blow your mind. So let's we're going to do that. But let's move on to chapter two because I want to talk about a strategy model that works. And you say strategy is iterative, sequential, and continuous. A strategy can be done on an individual group, individual group, or organizational level. Where do we start, Chuck?
1: Yeah, well, we start outside of the organization, right? So we've already touched on this. Just ta- we just tapped it, but the reality is that strategy has to start outside. We have to know our competitors. We have to know who the customers are for the organization or who they potentially could be. We have to have a good understanding of why competitors are winning in the market. What are they doing? Why are they winning business in the market? Then we can turn inside the organization and look at those two aspects we talked about real briefly before, which is. What are the just table stakes expectations where we're kind of below median and we need to get back up to everybody else? And then what are those things that really separate us from our competitors? Once we've got these things, and there's a methodology for doing that and a process for figuring out what the real competitive advantages are, which I'm sure we'll tap into. But then it gets into implementation. So I always tell folks that formulation is kind of fun. Right, there's a nice process to it. It works really well. Formulation is kind of on. Implementation is messy. Implementation right. is hard. And so, if you, the book is kind of broken up that way, right? The front half of the book is really about formulation, and the back half is all about implementation.
0: Right. Yeah. So this this idea that we've touched on here of looking outside your company, this first starting outside yourself first, I don't think I don't think we grasp that whole piece very very well because I think there's we want to look at we're going to look at our people we're going to look at what are we doing we're going to look at what we're not doing instead of and right I mean that I think that's a default mechanism that we fall into a bad habit do you find that to be true in your consulting
1: experience Oh yeah a- absolutely and it's it's really interesting what's fascinating is how little knowledge some companies have many companies have executives have about what their competitors are really doing they, they've got it in their head that the competitors are this and then they've just written them off in some kind of a cliche um, they've got it in their heads the competitors can't match them on such and such or what they go through this list of things and i'm like have you all ever i don't know visited the competitor have you all ever i don't know bought something from them well, Chuck, we're not going to buy anything from them. That would help them. Oh, yeah. I mean, heaven forbid you actually know what they're doing. <laughs> they don't do the analysis. Right. They don't right. develop the expertise. So what, one of the things we try to get done is get them level set on where it is and then tell them every one of these executives, each one should become the resident expert on Bank X, right. one right. of the competitors. And another one should be, why one of the other competitors Mm -hmm. so that when we're in a room talking about doing something different changing because strategy is always changing right right? we should have the expertise in the room about what our competitors are really doing
0: Mm. I really I really just think it's just it makes so much sense I just am just frustrated that we don't think that way first we just so we get so selfish and looking at what we need to do, right? I mean, it's because, I mean, it's not that you don't want us to look in that side that when you read the book, right? Because, I mean, clearly you say once the external is viewed, uh, then we need to focus on the internal and and we have to do that. But, man, it just seems so difficult for us to move outside of ourselves to, to do that. One of the things that you talk about in terms of looking outside of yourself, it's the number fourth piece that you have is, Map the touch points with the customer. I thought this was a really interesting point. Can you talk about mapping the touch points with the customer and why that's so important? Yeah, because, so when you think about, uh, uh,
1: pick, pick a larger organization, or even a moderate sized organization. Who has the most customer contact often turns out to be our newest employees or our lowest paid employees, mm-hmm. customer service areas or technician groups, et cetera. But every single time we have a contact with a customer, be it in person, be it via social media, be it via advertising, via any kind of contact, what we want to do is deliver a consistent message to the customer about why they should be working with us, why they should be buying from us, why they should continue to want to be a part of us. And what I find is that an awful lot of organizations don't actually manage that process. And because of it, we get all these weird dis, you know, or disparate, excuse me, messages that are being sent to customers. So the moment that starts to happen, Jay, what the customer starts to view us as is, oh, just one of them. Mm. They, they don't have a reason to come back to us or to continue.
0: Yeah, that, that's that's the, that, the, and there's the rub, right, of actually knowing our customer, right, is that why would your customer choose someone else over me? Right, because we want to believe that yeah. we're, we're the number yeah. one choice, right? I mean, that's what we want to believe. I'm, I'm the number one choice, Chuck, come on. Of course they're gonna choose us, but that's the reality is why did they choose, right? I mean, you even ask that question in the book. Have you ever asked yourself the question, why did they not, why did they not choose you?
1: Yeah, and we try, a, we try a really, we, we suggest a really weird kind of, you know, far out there approach for this, Jay. What we try to do is ask the customer. Oh. So we go to the customer. I know it sound it's pretty wild. What? I know, I know, I got it. What? So we go pretty wild and we say things. Now I don't ask the customer why they bought from somebody else because. Generally, customers are going to lie. They don't mean to lie, but they're going to tell me a story. But what I do want to know is if you didn't buy from me, whom did you buy from? If you did buy from me, who else did you consider? Right? And what I can do very quickly is map together who my competitors are. Who is it that customers are? comparing me to. And when again, when companies come back to me, it's like, well, Chuck, again, this is just an awful lot of work. I'm not sure what's really worth it. Like, well, then can you explain to me why you don't have 100% of the market share? Hmm. Why do you only have 4% of market share, hmm. right? Because clearly, customers are not going, well, darn, you are the best.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Ask your customer. God, that's
1: that's not... I know. I know. It's, I know it's, it's, it's radical. I, I apologize for throwing but, that out on your show.
0: I, I, Chuck, yeah, easy. So easy, because... People, people are now going. I, I don't know. I can't take it that we would actually ask our customers questions. That, you know, people who didn't buy from us questions. That's crazy. Uh, so, once, uh, so once we, once we've done all this external viewing, we're just looking at the internal viewing. And I want you to define for me. There, you have a couple things here. There is, there's elements in the organization that are standard, and then there's elements of the organization that are potentially exceptional. What can you, can you give us some clarity on those two that we need to be taking a look at? Sure,
1: so look, you, you, you walk in, and I'm gonna pick on something average, a restaurant. Yeah. You walk into a nice restaurant. You expect somebody to be standing there to, you know, to get your information and to take you to your table. You expect to be, have menus put at the table. You expect the table to be set. You expect somebody within X number of seconds to come up and ask you if you wanna have something to drink. You, and we can go down this long list. None of those reasons were why you chose that restaurant. All of those are just simple, orthodox, table stakes expectations that you have when you come into a nice restaurant. These are simply your expectations. If those fall below median, you sit down at the table and it takes 15 minutes before somebody even asks you if you want some water, or they don't deliver menus to you, you have to go find somebody to get a menu, those kind of things below median expectations will frustrate your customer and your customer will not come back. Hmm. So yeah, I tell people, I said, look, if you sit down at the table and the fork is dirty, right, You're at the, at the restaurant, you're like, ah, oh, and you hand it to them and they bring back another fork, oh, I'm really sorry about that, and they put another dirty fork down, right? I don't care if Bobby Flay himself <laughs> is serving you, you're going to be so frustrated you're not going to want to come back because you can't even get a clean fork. So that's the table stakes, normal expectations. And then almost every organization, well, every organization really must have two to three compelling Competitive advantages, compelling reasons why a customer should go past your competitors and come to you. So, view it this way half of it is not frustrating your customers, Mm. and half of it is trying to provide a couple of really deep, compelling advantages that are real that will draw my customers past competitors.
0: Oh, what a perfect place for a break. Hey, you know what? We have a brand new. Uh, we have a brand new sponsor. It, it, they, by the way, they have a great competitive advantage. I, I think they do. I mean, outside the fact they have got. They're normal, you know. I mean, well, first of all, everybody's certified. That's pretty much, that's kind of cool. But Epic Physical Therapy actually has some of the most advanced top-of-the-line equipment, right, which I know maybe over time somebody else might get it. But they actually have like things like the Ultra g anti-gravity treadmill, the Norma Tech compression sleeves, the Game Ready, just to name a few. Not only that, every one of them are trained and certified in the most comprehensive cutting-edge treatments available, including blood flow restriction therapy, dry needling, cupping, just to name a few. If you've seen cupping, right, you've seen those little like splotches on the back of swimmers back. Yeah, that's what cupping is. By the way, it's great. I know I've had it done. Um, so why don't you learn how they can make you more epic by going to epicpt.com. Listen, I love this place. This place is someplace I go for my for my when I'm when I get injured or I'm sore or maybe I need to change my nutrition up a little bit. It's the place that I go to get it done, and I'm very happy with the results. I'm extraordinarily happy with the results. Because they are epic, so why not? Why don't you learn why I love them? Go to epicpt.com. That's e-p-i-c-p-t.com. And Linda Craft and Team Realtors for 35 years, they have been serving the Triangle area, but actually they've been serving the entire world by helping people find the right real estate professional for their home and helping investors even invest in the Triangle. Right? So they've been doing this for 35 years. What's really cool is they're located in Raleigh, but they help people worldwide. Matter of fact, if you were to go to 7300 Six Forks in Raleigh, let me tell you what they're going to do. They're going to You're going to walk in the door and they go, hey, how about a bottle of water? I know it sounds weird, but it's really what they do. They, every person who comes to the doors, you want a bottle of water? And they're going to offer you a bottle of water, and then they're going to say, how are you today? And they're going to ask you what's going on, and, and can they help you? Or maybe you just want a cup of coffee, Great. We'll make you a cup of coffee. We're happy to do that for you. But they really are really wanting to create a relationship with you. Every person that walks through the door, they just want to create a relationship, say hello, make you feel good about you, feel good about where they're at. And they are the relationship realtor. They're the ones who create relationships, not just just to do business, real relationships. They've created relationships with thousands of people in the triangle and there's going to be thousands more that they're going to create relationships and one of them should be you. So why not check out why they are the Relationship Real Estate Agency and you can learn more by going to lindacraft.com. That's L-I-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T.com and we're back here with Dr. Chuck Bamford. Did I tell you how good he was? Did I say something about that he's really a lot of fun and he's really cool and that and could you imagine being in one of his classes and having him talk to you? I I to like going I want to go back to college again. I want to go back to grad school. I want to just sit in one of his classes and just for a semester and do it cuz he, he's a blast. And we're having a lot of fun and we just got through when we when we last left, we just were starting to talk about Competitive advantages, and this is where I think people don't understand what competitive advantage is, and how do we analyze something? You call it RBAs. How do we go about to make sure that we actually have a competitive advantage?
1: Yeah and this is and, and this is a, a technique that has been honed and developed really crafted in the late 80s um by probably 92 93 was the predominant methodology for determining competitive advantage so depends on who you want to talk to if you're talking to some of the consulting firms some of them call it vrist or vrin some of them have you know put it on they call it vrio there's a theoretical approach to it as well at heart i'm a professor and so i just go back to the original and call it resource-based analysis now in two thousand two two thousand and three, a group of the leading textbook authors um of which one of my uh, strategy textbook is is one of the top ones of those well, we decided it, no, no, to really tell, recraft tell, tell, this oh, i'm should, sorry go ahead jay tell people what it is they should know oh, it's can- it's it's something that no one no one should purchase <laughs> unless they're absolutely forced to buy a professor in their in their course it's uh more than a thousand pages long jay it's a 530-page content plus cases textbook. Um, so, and so, in fact, it's, it's funny. Uh, one of the original reasons for writing the Strategy Mindset uh, 2.0 was to take that, all that material and put it into something that could be used by executives, managers, owners in an easily readable format. But the resource-based analysis, we really turned it into a much more practical approach. Um, and all of us have kind of agreed to that. So at its heart, you take everything you think is one of your competitive advantages and you put it through sort of a five-element test. And again, I didn't create this test, but it works extraordinarily well. It has been validated by literally thousands of research papers that have been published. So... First of all, you ask I don't know. Well, Jay, before I go through it, do you want me to walk through it or would you rather do something different?
0: I want no, that's what I want you to do. I want you to I want because I think people need to hear the test of whether something is a competitive advantage or not.
1: Okay, perfect. So first question is is it rare? That is, is it relatively unique compared to your comparison set? And by the way, this is where people would fall apart, right? No matter what analysis you came up with about your people. The question is, is it relatively rare compared to the competitors? You'd be like, well, no, they all got the same darn thing we have. Then it fails at rare. And therefore it's an orthodox or a table stakes expectation. We should be doing all these things. Mm -hmm. If it passes for rare, you've got something that's really unusual. Then the question becomes, how long can you hold on to that cool thing, right? How durable is it? And there's multiple aspects that we use to analyze how the competitors might try to take that away from us. If we can get it past durable, that is we're going to be able to keep this for ourselves for a period of time. I loved how you did that with, uh, with your advertisement um, because if they can – at this point, they've got something that is rare, and they will probably have it for a length of time because this is expensive equipment and hard for people to be able to do that kind of training and be certified. Right. So they have it for a period of time. Then the question is, what are the substitutes? And are they good substitutes or bad substitutes? And there's a substitute for everything. The reality is that most of them are not good substitutes. And then there's an an element called tradability, which really just comes down to, can you buy it? Can anybody buy it? Can anybody get there quickly? And then finally, it comes down to value. And you, you, you touched on this earlier. We've studied value in this field, up one side and back down the other. Mm-hmm. Value comes down to one of three things. You can either charge more because you've got this cool thing. You would, could cost you less for a variety of reasons. So you get a better basis point run or do customers go past my competitors because I have this. Mm-hmm. And all I need is one of those three, but to get all three is like getting the trifecta, right? But if all I need is one of those three to get value, so, so every single thing somebody comes up with, we put it through this test for each of those things. Now, you probably got out of this. There's a lot of art here, right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah right. Conversation with the executives. I always tell people that every every company I go to work with, 130 plus now in the last seven years, they're the content experts. I'm a process guy, hmm. and so. We push through it, we talk about it, we come up with stuff, most things fail at rare, then the next most at durable, and the next most at substitutable, and only those that get all the way through do we calculate whether we can get value, and what we end up with is usually one or two things that we're currently doing that are competitive advantages, and then we try to come up with a third that we could do, because mm-hmm. you want about three different competitive advantages to really be effective.
0: I, that, that is that is so cool, because, uh, by the way, we're talking with Dr. Chuck Bamford, uh, author of The Strategy Mindset 2.0, uh, fabulous book. If you're even thinking about doing a business, or if you've been in business for a thousand years, uh, if you're in a profit, nonprofit, I think that covers pretty much everybody in the world. This book is absolutely a necessity. It is. It should be required reading for every business, every board of directors, regardless of where you're at because it will uh, change the way you're thinking about, you know, you, you want to talk about doing goals and everything year after year. What well, you need to understand as as Chuck points out so well in this book, that uh, strategy is ongoing. It's, it's not something that you do once a year. It's something you need to be doing all the time. What I found uh, and it's really true, by the way. I, I love the way you say that. One of the things they found when we started doing this resource-based analysis that you have rare, durable, um, and, and so, such and so forth, relatively non substitutable uh, relatively non-tradable. The fact of the matter is, if you've got those four things, all of a sudden, we become valuable. Right? It, all oh, of a sudden we, oh, I agree.
1: You, yeah, I, I think you can find value almost, almost all the time if you can get it through those four, first four. They did a study way back and said that about 90% of the time, something can pass through those first four, the organization can find uh, real significant value
0: propositions. Yeah. I, when you said that, when you said that in, in chapter five, I was just like, basically, I'm going to paraphrase it. You said you immediately have value if you pass the previous test. I'm like, wow. Because, you know, we try to put, we try to put, we try to, I, I, you know, everybody says, you know I, I, I'm the value, whatever, you know, I've got value. Man, pass those tests. Go through the RBA because if you'll go through that resource-based analysis, that's going to really be a big – if you can pass that, maybe you do because I, I did that with the show. So, I mean, it, I mean, I was like, you know, always got to be doing work because people can catch up, right, um, doing what I'm doing, especially when they find out what I'm doing. So, yeah, very, really cool. I really, really enjoyed that. So – One of the things that you talk about, and I want to jump to this because we're running, we're getting, we're almost, we've almost been on an hour. I don't know if you know this or not, but we've almost been. Oh my goodness. But it's been so much fun. I've really enjoyed this. So, but I want to get to it because I know there's two things that people want to hear. One is in chapter seven, you talk about have a reason for existence, mission, value, values, principles. And I think one of the things that people miss the boat, and I don't mean miss the boat. I mean, they tip it over and just have no idea and why what waters they're in and why they should even be in the boat. And this is the thing we, they call the mission statement. Because we're not really writing mission statements, I don't believe. And I, based on everything that you said, that the mission is directly tied to competitive advantages of the organization and is about what we're trying to accomplish right now, indicates to me, based on that statement in your book, that we need to be we need to be looking at our mission statement regularly.
1: Yeah, I could not agree more. In fact, uh, we've done some uh, research studies, and uh, less than fifty percent of the Fortune 500 have mission statements. So, and even when they have them, most of them are ineffective. They've missed the chance, Jay, to communicate to their employees, communicate to their customers, communicate to um, their suppliers, why they should, why they exist, why are we here? What do we think separates us from the rest of the pack? Our, Our mission is not to make money. You know, I get these, these folks that talk to me and they say, well, Chuck, what we have is a fiduciary responsibility to maximize shareholder value. And I'm like, oh, my God, you can't actually believe that, right? Can you imagine telling the fry clerk at McDonald's, look, make more money? <laughs> the fry clerk standing there going, oh, okay, okay. I'll, I'll, okay. You know, that, that none of that is why we get money because we do X and not knowing what our mission is, not knowing what our vision is, and God forbid, not having some established set of principles or values from which we can operate is a, is a failure of leadership.
0: I, I, I love that. I want to quote you. Uh, you said, the core problem with mission statements is that they are unremarkable, unreadable, too long to remember, and simply not applicable in the daily management of companies. Oh, so true. God, that's beautifully written. By the way, that's really well. well thank you very much. No, I no, it that, really is. On, I'll pat myself on the back. Yeah, no, I, I, mean that because it's beautiful because it's true. It is. I go, you know, I, you know, I coach, you know, different people and and, and executives and and so forth, and, and I go in and I'll go into their business and I'll read these mission statements, and when you said, I'm like going, well, that's nice. Well, it's not remarkable. What are you really trying to say? Well, it's pretty much unreadable. I could never remember that if I was here for an hour, right? Because it's so long. And I don't really understand how this is even applicable to the daily management of this company. It's more of a vision than a mission. And I I think that gets confusing and man, you know, you you make a point, you know, in the five keys to designing a mission statement, the short, the simple. That the directional piece and the actional pieces are actually really important. Do you want to talk about those two pieces? Sure, yeah,
1: because the directional piece is the stuff we probably talked about enough. It just the right. uh, you know what separates us, but the actionable pieces I think very important. Again, we're trying to communicate with our employees. What do we want our employees to do after they read the mission statement? What do we want them to deliver to to the customers? What what are the actions? What are the things that we want them to do? I think leaders forget that they're not actually making us any money. The money is being made by all the employees out there. And so you want to give your employees an opportunity to be successful. And I think a well-written mission statement delivers on that.
0: Mm, I love that. So we're coming we're coming down to the end of the show uh, and and I, I really wanted to get to the perfect customer and so uh, before we I'm thinking that we can do this I think we've got I think we can do this and still have enough time before they decide to cut me off you in chapter ten the perfect customer you say is one who instantly gets the value proposition of the offering and is willing to pay for it talk to us about why we need to have this perfect customer who they are really and how do we identify them.
1: Yeah so well there's oh gosh the last question would take me probably about 40 minutes there's a <laughs> lot to how we identify them how we figure them out how we address them but the the you hit the the, the two big criteria just think about your business which customers come to you, they don't really look at, at your competitors, they really pretty much come directly to you, they don't dicker with you much on price, because they get your value proposition, they understand it. You know, I picked on Elon earlier this the, in the show, but think about somebody who decides to just plunk down all that money on the new truck where you can throw a ball right through the window, right? So... All these people put down the money instantly for that truck. They get the value proposition and they're willing to pay for it. So perfect customers are fantastic because we want to hold this core group of customers and then expand beyond outside of that in order to grow our business. And I could go on forever, Jay, but I won't.
0: That's no, I, I, that's the perfect summary I was looking for. So we've, I can't believe this has gone so fast. This happens every show. We're, we just It goes so stinking quickly. So uh, what I do with my friends, because you're no longer a guest, you're now a friend of the show. And uh, we're going to stay in contact with each other. And I'm probably going to have you back uh, at some point talking more about this, if you're okay with that. I would love to have you back. Oh, and that I, would be fantastic. I have And I have people giving me all sorts of thumbs up. And telling me to have him back. <laughs> I want to have him back. So yeah, you've got you've got some you got some people who are in love with you. The book's called The Stri- the Strategy Mindset 2.0, uh Dr. Chuck Bamford. So, Chuck, what I ask my friends on the show is uh the show's called A New Direction because we try to help people find a new direction in in success, leadership, life, business, careers. If Chuck Dr. Chuck Bamford, author of The Strategy Mindset 2.0, could leave the listeners with a new direction, what would that be?
1: Oh, that, that, they, they, that they take strategy as something that is serious and something that actually can be done, and everyone can do it. That's awesome.
0: His name is Dr. Chuck Bamford. The book is called The Strategy Mindset 2.0. He has been better than advertised. He is outstanding. Check him out. Go to check out Bamford and Associates. Uh, fantastic website. Hire him to, to hire him to speak. Uh, you will not be disappointed. You've heard what he's like. He's got a great sense of humor and is a lot of fun. And colleges, get him. Get him in right away because you need to do that. Folks, this is the show. You know what I say every week? Be inspired because if you're inspired, that means that you can inspire other people. And when they're inspired, that means they in turn can inspire others and that can make this world a great place. So I look forward to seeing you next week with another great guest. And as I say every week, ciao. Everybody go a different way yeah The time has come for a new direction Yeah yeah New direction Yeah yeah When you lost your confidence and the answers don't make sense Got to keep your hope alive i